Okay, today's daf is daf Lamed Gimel, and we pick up about eight lines from the top, and we're in the middle of a discussion about uh, what things can be said in all languages, and we've already mentioned Sota, which is why we're uh, on this discussion, not the writing of the Parsha, but the reciting of it, and Vidun Ma'aser, and uh, Shema. So all those are from the Torah. Tefillah, now the Gemara says, about eight lines from the top, Tefillah, Rachmihi, because that is supplication to God, direct communication with God, and go, hey, and however you want to, however you need to, you can speak, you know, it's about your direct communication with God, fundamentally it's rooted in that, and therefore there's no, uh, you know, it should, it, it, it's appropriate that it be in the language that allows you to be um, most articulate. Now, um, this is uh, fascinating because, you know, the phrase Rachme in the Gemara is used in contrast to the classic question in the Gemara in Brachos, whether tefillah is Keneged Avos um, or Keneged Korbanot. Does it represent the Korbanot, which represents sort of the whole form and structure and all of the rules of it? Or is it represent the, uh, does it correspond to the Avot the way Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov prayed, which was obviously no formal text, no formal time, very much from their heart. And when the Gemara wants to refer to that core of it, which the Gemara conclusion in Brachos, is that as its core, it's Keneged Avot. But then you have all the structure of the korbanot, of the time and the text sort of placed upon it. So when the Gemara wants to speak to that core aspect of it, that it's really personal communication, it uses the phrase rachmeninu, and that's why fundamentally it can be in any language. So now the Gemara questions this. The uh, is it really true that Shmonesu can be in any language? doesn't say You should never make a request in Aramaic. Whoever makes their request in Aramaic, and presumably the reason to do that was that Aramaic was the vernacular, the heavenly angels won't listen to them. There's something not as ideal about doing it in um, translation, um, or excuse me, not just any translation. Specifically, it seems to be Aramaic. They don't, they don't recognize Aramaic, which is a fascinating idea that there would be something they don't recognize. Some Rishonim sort of say that it's not really being said about all languages, just about Aramaic, and not that they don't recognize it, it's that they don't approve of it because they see it as a type of a perversion of Hebrew. It is a Semitic language. Anyway, this is the idea, that we should not say it in Aramaic because somehow we need the angels to help communicate, you know, uh, carry our, our tefillot. If he came out and he's caught and came with Lashon Amami, so says, Lo kasha, that's not difficult. It depends whether it is a personal prayer or a communal prayer. If it is, uh, well, actually, let me say that. It depends whether you're praying privately or communally. That seems to be the point. The aim, so because why? Because when you pray communally, the sense is that God is always found amongst the community and directly in the presence of the community. And therefore, when it is, you are praying communally, you are, God is directly present. Whereas when you are praying by yourself, and privately, you need the angels to help bring your prayers, and therefore, it should not be um, it should not be in Aramaic. Now, um, this was actually um, you can understand this a little more of a conceptual level, uh, not specifically about Aramaic, but about translation versus the Hebrew, because when you say in the fixed text in the Hebrew text, what you are accomplishing, even though it might impinge on your sort of ability to personally express yourself as fully as you would like to, um, or with as much feeling as you would like to, um, what do you do achieve by it? Is the sort of 
connection to the tradition, to the origin, you know, also the, the words carry particular weight, and to a sense of uh, part of the community, because everybody has a shared text. So what you can understand the Gemara is saying is, is that if you are praying already in a community, and that sense of connection and community and sort of, and Mesorah and tradition is already there, um, then it's okay to, tra- to pray in a different language. But when you're on your own, maybe you need to use the Hebrew text in order to connect you. So that's a sort of a conceptual way of understanding what is going on here, not really about something about Aramaic. Now this also led to a discussion in the Rishonim because, you know, people would pr- pray Shimon Esrei, um, you know, uh, women who were not fluent in Hebrew, people would pray um, in, even when they were davening in private, which led the, um, you know, which led a, uh, the um, Rishonim to say that the distinction here is not just uh, com- whether you're praying in community or by, in private, whether you're playing a communal prayer or a per- private, personal, your own text prayer. If it's a communal prayer like Shimon Esrei, then it can be in translation. Now, it doesn't exactly work with this question about is God present in the community or not, but you do understand the idea, uh, maybe God will always hear prayers that are part, that are the communal prayer, whether you're ta- davening individually or communally. Uh, maybe also when you're davening at home and you're davening the Shimon Esrei, it's seen to combine with the community that is davening the Shimon Esrei. But it also could be uh, similar to the point that I just made, which is that when you are um, that when um, uh, you are davening a traditional prayer, even in translation, that is enough to anchor you um, in the community, and therefore you're allowed to do it in translation. Where if it's a totally private prayer, again, you need something there to not be just about yourself and to make it somewhat um, more part of the tradition, more part of the community. Of course, again, you know, women would often daven, I'm sure men as well, but whatever, traditionally, you know, personal prayers in their own, tra- in their own language, that's the easiest way, especially if you're going to compose the home text. And that's why this distinction is really the Rishadim wind up limiting this specifically to Aramaic. So once people weren't speaking Aramaic anymore, this really didn't have much import, this restriction about Aramaic. Okay, so now the Gemara continues and says like this, Is it really true that the angels don't recognize Aramaic? And Rashi says that this is when he was um, going in, you know, to... Um, to do the avoda, um, so Shu um, Omer and the heavenly voice was saying, "Nitzkut chlaya da azul agacha kravel antuchia." That the so uh, Rashi explains that the uh, house of the Chashmonaim, which were Kohanim, there were a segment of them that went to uh, fight war against the uh, Seleucid on Yom Kippur. And um, he was in the he was in the Kodesh Kodashim on Yom Kippur, the Kohen Gadol, and the heavenly voice said that the uh, that the Jews won. So the 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 you know the 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 goats, the you know the kids, the kid sheep, the kid goats, you know, uh, were victorious that went to fight war against um, Antioch. Um, the Shuvma said, "Why exactly he's getting an update on the news? I mean, obviously, presumably, the whole Jewish people were in you know uh, you know were very uh, fearful of what the outcome of that would." Be. Veshuvma said another story. That the army that the enemies were uh, hoping to uh, bring against the Beis Hamikdash 
um, has been that you know that's been nullified. They're no longer going to be doing that. Venerag um, Gascalgis and this Gascalgis, who was a certain type of a, a, a king, uh, you know, or a Caesar, um, was 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 killed. Uh, not Caesar, excuse me. That's too early. Anyway, a, a, a Greek ruler, Ubatlux Zerosov, and they um, and and the edicts that he passed against the Jews have been annulled. And they wrote down that time. The Kivnu, and they now presumably, if it, this was also on Yom Kippur, Rashi presumes that that's why the Yom Kippur based Kohen Gadol was hearing it in the Kodesh Kadashim. He didn't hear it for, just come out of the Kodesh Kadashim. He was in the Kodesh Kadashim. So uh, presumably, um, they, after Yom Kippur, they recorded what time it was that they heard it on Yom Kippur, um, and they found out that lo and behold, that was exactly at that moment is when these events happened. That they that the that they the decree was annulled, and the uh, and the and, and they no longer were coming to war against to try to uh, destroy the base of Mikdash. Now, presumably, this Baskal is a heavenly voice, but it's coming through an angel, and so they're speaking Aramaic, so obviously they understand Aramaic. Um, again, quite fascinating, you know, why was it Aramaic? Why wasn't it Hebrew? Because ultimately it was a sort of a secular issue, even though obviously it was something about the security of the people, um, that it was about war somehow. So anyway, um, so don't you see that they know Aramaic? Um, uh, so the Gemara says, um, First of all, I could say that a baskol is different. A baskol is uh, now it's sounding it's like it's communicated by an angel. The baskol is an angel, but anyway, this was in Aramaic because the whole point of this is to make an announcement for people to hear. So maybe there's a special angel that gives these proclamations, and that angel knows Aramaic. Or there, it was Gavriel. There is one angel who does know all the languages, and that's Gavriel. That Gavriel came and taught Yosef um, all 70 uh, um, languages. Okay, so that just deals with this question of Aramaic. But again, really important questions about the nature of Shimon Esrei as being Rachame, and ultimately that core breaks through some of those forms. Um, and the question also about being, being part, doing your praying as part of the community or as an individual. Birchaz Amazon. Now, Birchaz Amazon, which is clearly based in a, in a Pasuk in the Torah. So the Gemara says, Dichsiv, as it says, Bless God, any language that you bless. Now, the way that Rashi reads this is that the Gemara doesn't even have to prove it. There's no text. If there's no text, you don't have to prove you can do a text in translation. Why would I have thought it had to be in Hebrew? It just says, bless God. So the Gemara is just sort of saying, yeah, it's a puzzle. Bless God. There's no, te- there's no text. Of course, you can do it in any language. Tosas, however, says Rashi, you know, altered the Girsa. The Girsa first was Pshita, you know, or the Gemara, not Pshita, excuse me, like Minani Mili, where you know this from, um, and that the Gemara had to cite this puzzle. So um, why did the Gemara have to ask where you know this from? So, um, so Tosas says, because since it says, Rachta, I might have thought there were other brachas like Bir- that have to be in Hebrew, so maybe this too has to be in Hebrew. Now that's really fascinating because um, here we see that the question about Hebrew or translation is not, or or um, other languages um, is not just a question of translation. Uh, that even if there's no particular text, there's a reason to think that maybe it would uh, specifically have to be in Hebrew. That somehow there is some significance um, to, that it that it should be specifically in Hebrew, and therefore you need a, to pr- prove that um, that it can be in any language. Now, where do you get the idea that it can be in any language? So, if you look closer than the Muslim says, what's the proof from the verse? So, it doesn't say like this. Um, um, it's like three lines before the lines get wide. 
Since fundamentally it's about directly communicating with God, a lot of these other things are rituals, you know, that are for other people. Sota, Birchas Koanim, even that's to the people, and so on. Here it's just you and God. So, so it could be any language you want. A very nice idea. So, it's all about you and God, very similar to the idea of tefillah. But again, what's fascinating is that according to Tosfos, um, there was a reason to think it would be, have to be in Hebrew, even if there was no particular text. Okay. Shuras Edus, when you make somebody swear that they don't know any testimony. Somebody hears the sound of a curse and, or, you know, that they're being forced to swear. Any language. Again, here, the fact that it seems to need a pasuk indicates that somehow I would think you need, a, you need Hebrew, and this isn't even really ritualistic so much. Okay, it's a shvua, but anyway, that there's a reason to think that you would need Hebrew even when there's no particular text. Shuras Hapikadon, or when you may take somebody to take an oath that he's not holding back a object of yours. By both of them, it uses the word sin, and therefore we learn it, we apply it from one to the other. So those are the ones that can be said in all languages, of course, as Tosos pointed out. Otherwise, there's a lot of other things said in other languages, brachos and so on, but these are the ones mentioned in the Mishnah. The following can only be said in Hebrew. Mikra bikurim v'chalitz, etc. Okay, so meaning, v'chule means, and there's the whole text from the Mishnah. Now we're going to look at them one by one. Um, Ad mikra bikurim, keitzad. So quote the Mishnah until it gets to the uh, on, after the list until it says where do you know mikra bikurim? This is still quoting the Mishnah. So here it says vanisa v'amarta. You should respond and say that double verb vanisa v'amarta is it appears by the Levi'im where they do the brachos and the klalos and hargrizim and harheival and says vanisa v'amarta. And we're going to learn there that it was in Hebrew and therefore that's the basis to learn other things are. In Hebrew as well, um, and the first of them here being um, this here being um, uh, the, um, uh, uh, the the mikra bikurim ma ania hamur lahalam belashon kodesh af kan belashon kodesh. So the same way there by the brachos and klolos, it's in Hebrew. It's in Lashon Kodesh here too. It is again fascinating because you would think Mikra Bikurim is about expressing this gratitude to God, you know, and maybe it should be in a language that most is, you know, allows a person to speak most personally. But nevertheless, from this we learn that it's in Hebrew. Maybe because it's not just for the person, for everybody who's in the base of Mikdash, it is something connected to Korbanot. People should hear people making this declaration. Maybe there's an importance that it have that ritual power. Okay, so now the word says like this: Now the key question: How do you know the brachas and klalas, which is mentioned in the Mishnah? Um, how do you know that that's in Hebrew? Um, they should uh, a loud voice. And it says by Moshe, Moshe who spoke with speaking, God would respond to him with a voice. Would respond with a voice. Obviously, God spoke in Hebrew, even if the Torah was said meaning it was able to be translated. Clearly, all those other things are a translation. So the, 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 when God gave the Ten Commandments, that was in Hebrew. So so the Kol Ram by the Brachs and Klolos are in Lashon HaKodesh, and therefore similarly by things that are learned from Anu Amru. Chalitza Ketza. How do you know about Chalitza? And the Gemara learned this out from, uh, the Mishnah had two possibilities, right? One was rabbis learned it out from 
which is the same idea. Those two verbs next to each other means Hebrew. And then um, the, Rabbi Huda said you don't need to because it says So her declaration is so shall it be done. But you could read She has to say exactly this way in Hebrew. So if the rabbis don't learn kacha to teach you it has to be Hebrew, they learn it from somewhere else. So what do they do with the word kacha? Kacha the acts of chalitza have to be done, but if you didn't do the speech, if you didn't say those words, the chalitza actually is still valid. When you say the words, it has to be Hebrew, but if you blew it, you didn't say it, or you didn't say it in a different language, the chalitza is still valid. Kacha it's the things that are done, that those are the things that, that are necessary for the chalitza to be good. Rabbi Yehuda, miko kacha. Rabbi Yehuda said, I can learn that out from the fact that it could have said ko and it says kacha, the extra, making the word a little longer there, tells me two things. Hebrew, and it's based on the things that are done, not the things that are said. The rabbis don't feel that that's a double, a double language, and they only learn one thing from it. Fine. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, that he doesn't use the double verb, respond and say, you know, and it is true. Like, why, why doesn't the Torah just say, the really carries this sense, like it's a formal declaration. And if it has that formality of declaration, right, whether it's here, whether it's by Mikra Bikurim, then it makes sense that that's only in Lashon HaKodesh. But Rabbi Yehuda doesn't use that, that verb combination, at least by Chalitza. So what does he say the significance of that is? He needs it. To Lashon uh, HaKodesh. See that because the uh, the we 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 the anchor was the brachos and klolos were in Hebrew and that taught us about mikra bikurban it taught us about um, uh, um, about chalitza but Rabbi Yehuda says no 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 chalitza I learned on my on my own because of kacha and uh, the levim I don't know that that I don't learn it from Moshe and the Kol and God the Aseris Hadibros I need to learn from chalitza chalitza teaches that brachos and klolos are in Hebrew and then from brachos and klolos you go to mikra Bikurim. Okay? So, the Beloshan HaKodesh, the Leilif, Kol Kol Mi Moshe, says the Gemara. So, why not learn out Kol Kol from Moshe, like we did before? Ani Ani Agamir, Kol Kol Lo Gamir. No, Ana Ana, you know, which is maybe the act, uh, and you know, that he learns out the connection. Kol Kol is less persuasive for him. Raji says not less persuasive, it's just different traditions about what type of Xavier Shava. At a certain point, you can't ask why this way and not that way. That was his tradition. Okay. Whenever it says ko or kacha, like kacha yasa, ania or amira, you know, um, excuse me, um, um, ani, presumably it means ania ve'amira, ve'ana ve'amar. So the combination of ania and amira, so that means in Hebrew. Um, ko, now where, where are the places that he applies this to? Ko sevarchu es Yisrael. So you shall bless B'nai Yisrael. That is about the birchas kohanim. We haven't gotten up to that yet. Kacha de chalitza, the kacha of chalitza. And ania ve'amira de levim. And ania and amira of the levim are in Hebrew. And that is, um, you know, that is, that is how, that we learn, you know, that sort of, that, we learn from what do you call it from um, from chalitza that that's in Hebrew, and then that teaches that that the, the, that's the source that Ani and Amir is in Hebrew. So then go ahead and apply that to um, to Bikur uh, Bikur. Okay, now brachos and kolos. Now we are before we get to the other things on the list. Now we're going to spend some time talking about the process of what happened with the whole brachos and kolos. Keitza. So the Mishnah speaks about the whole way they passed over the Jordan, and it speaks about the exact location it was because the Torah speaks about the exact location it was. So let's take a look. What the Gemara has to say about this. Ton of butter. We turn to Brisa. 
Um, um, hello, Hema Be'ever HaYardain. Behold, they, the Hargizim and Harival, are on the other side of the Jordan. Me'ever Yardain Ve'elech, Divrei Behuda. On the other side, you know, and going even further, like far to the west of the Jordan. Oh, excuse me, actually, that's Pshat of the Pasuk. But the way this is being read, actually, is Ever HaYardain, you know, is the... Um, uh, is the other side, meaning the, the east side of the Jordan. Okay, so Halohema be'ever ha'yardain me'ever ha'yardain be'elach, meaning they are far away from the east side of the Jordan. Give Reb Yehuda, that's the way Reb Yehuda reads it. Acharei derech mevar shemesh, makam shechama zorachas, where the sun, right, where the sun rises from. So it's very bizarre. The point is, it's like distant. The key word me'ever is distant. And now we're taking distant from the east of the Yardane, from where the sun rises. Very much not the pshat of the Pasuk, okay, which we'll see the more pshat in a minute. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the valley. Um, this is Hargizim and Harival, that nowadays the Samaritans are dwell in, dwell in these mountains. Mulhal Gilgal, opposite Gilgal. Samach Gilgal means directly facing Gilgal, near Gilgal, because all of this is a good ways over the Jordan towards the west. Eitzel Elonei Mored, near Elonei Mored. Shechem, this is Shechem. Mulhal Nomer, Vayavor Avram Baris, Ad Mekom Shechem, Ad Elon Mored. Ma Elon Mored HaMalal, Ad Shechem, the same way by Avraham. Shechem and Elon Mored are identified. Afkan Shechem. Okay, here too as well. Tanya. So that's just telling us, you know, the psukim, it's near Shechem and so on, and Elon Moreh, which is clear, but some reading that the locations are east, and it's emphasizing far away from the east. Um, With this matter, I, I, I proved how the, how, how the Sepharim of the, of, the, of the Samaritans, you know, might mean the uh, Sifri Torah, because they had a similar Sefer Torah, but with, but with differences, um, or it might mean their traditions, you know, I showed that they were forged. Why? Because the Samaritans did not believe in the oral tradition. So, um, and I showed that they were forged because it says, um, I said to them, um, you have, you have like, you have, um, Forged, you, you're falsified your Torah. You know, you've changed the actual, again, it's not clear if it means the Torah scrolls, the actual words of the Torah scrolls. That would make more sense with the word zeus. Um, or you have perverted it by rejecting the old tradition and you haven't accomplished anything. You say that the Elonu Mered, that's referred to by the Hargrizim and Harival, which is where you, you know, your fundamental encampment, which is identified with Shechem. But we also agree with that. But we have an oral tradition. We learned it out from a Shava, from the use of it by Avraham, where it also identified them. Okay? Um, where did you learn it out from if you don't have an oral tradition? Now, this is, I, I really have to tell you that I can't understand this because this is like, who needs a Shava? If it's identified as the same name placed by Avraham, then that's, we've already have it identified elsewhere in the Torah. So there's got to be something else going on in this Gemara. It's really not exactly clear. Um, there's clearly, but, but clearly something that's not, uh, that's, you know, not the simple sense of the text here. Anyway, some other thing is going on. Okay. Um, okay. Rabbi Eliezer Amar. Hello, Haim. Now, back to the question of interpreting the verse. So one verse was, it was, the keywords were about east, but it was about far away from the east. So very, a good ways after they crossed the Jordan. Um, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Halohema Beber Yadain, they're on the other side, 
Samach Yardain. Ever doesn't mean a far distance. It means immediately near. There, as soon as you cross over the Jordan. So it's on the west as soon as you cross over. As opposed to reading it far away from the east. Okay? It cannot be a far distance from the Yardain because the Pasuk says it will be when you pass over the Yardain that you shall erect these stones and you shall do these, you know, brachot and klalot. Um, and therefore it sounds like it comes immediately that the day, it sounds like it's immediately after you pass over. So what we really have here is a debate whether this is exactly right after the, the Jordan, you know, immediately on the other side, or whether it's a good distance from it, whether they did it on the day that they passed over, or whether, you know, into the land, or whether they did it only a while after. And when you look in Sefer Yoshua, it's also, there's a little ambiguity around these types of issues. Um, and also, how does it connect to the stones that they took from the Yardain, and, and, and so on. Okay, so he he says it's immediately on the other side. Um, uh, okay. Um, uh, um, uh, you know, after the way of the coming of the sun, right, into the west. So that makes a lot of sense. So it's, immediate, it's immediately to the west of the Jordan. Um, okay, in the land of the Canaanite. Now, because he's reading this on the immediate west side of the Jordan, he's got a problem, because that's where the Chivi dwelt. Eretz Chivi, that's actually the land of the Chivites. Now, now he's going to sort of list the problems with his read that it's immediately on the other side. that dwells in the valley. But actually, the Chivites said, you know, live there amongst the mountains, and that's the area right over the other side of the Jordan. Mula Gilgal, opposite Gilgal, what do you mean? The Lularosa Gilgal. Okay, they didn't see the Gilgal, meaning the Gilgal was a good distance away from the yard, from the crossing of the Yardain. So this must be referring to something else, not to where Hargrizim and Har-Eval is. So what is it referring to? So that's answered by the next statement. Um, so the Pasuk is here, from this point on, it's not talking about uh, Hargrizim and Harival, it's talking about when you enter the land, here are some important markers. Since there won't be the Ananei Kavod, that's Rishonah when they went out of Mitzrayim, here the second time, you know, that now they're entering into this new land, the Torah is giving them markers, you know, without the Ananei Kavod, and it's telling them how they should enter the land, but not where Hargrizim and Harival are. Okay, um, there, uh, okay, um, derech, so it says, so now let's interpret the words about that, that were problematic. Okay, so derech, the way, but derech lechu v'lobasadosukramim. Go on the paths, don't go through fields and vineyards, maybe because you'll destroy property. Hayoshev, that dwells, b'yishuv lechu v'lobasadosukramim. Go in settled areas, not in unsettled areas. Ba'arava, the valley, go in the valley, don't go on mountains, all this is pretty straightforward advice, but that's what these things are coming to tell you, not actually where Hargrizim Har-Eval is found, that's obviously hard to understand, and it also doesn't exactly understand what um, the Mul HaGilgal is coming to say. And also that how it's not the land of the, uh, the problem of the Chivi and the Knani. So Rashi says, no, by following these advice, by going in the way of the valley and going by the road, etc., you will not stay at the east of the Jordan. You'll continue going deep into the land. You'll find your way to the Gilgal and through the land of the Knani. Okay, fine. Now we go on. Um... 
Tanu Rabbanan, a rabbi's taught. Ketzad Avu Yisrael Asiyardin. How do they cross over it? B'chol yom ara nosea achar shnei degalim. Normally, you know, the movement of the camp, you would have the first two camps, you know, six of the tribes go, and then the Aaron go. But when they crossed the Jordan, Nasatchila, the Aaron went first, because that's going to, the going of the Aaron with the Levim into the Yardin is what stops the waters from flowing. The Aron of the master of the whole world passes before you, so that means the Aron goes first. Normally the Levim are the ones that carry the Aron. Now the Kwanim, excuse me, I misspoke before. The Kwanim would carry it. That when the feet of the Kwanim, you know, rested, went into the Jordan, so this day it was being carried by the Kwanim. Three times it was Specifically, the Kohanim that carried the Aaron, Yarden, when they crossed the Jordan, as we said right now, when they circled Yericha, it was the Kohanim who carried it, and when they returned it to its rightful place, when they finally brought it into the Kodesh uh, Kadashim, when uh, Shlomo built the base of Mikdash. Okay, let's just do a little bit more here on Lamedal and get a little bit ahead. The Kivan Shev. Um, and as soon as the feet of the Kohanim sort of were, you know, were touched the water, were immersed in the water, um, the water is, uh, you know, backed up. Now, the, what the Torah says is, what the, it says in Yoshua is that they formed a wall and that, you know, as opposed to the Yamsuf, which is a sea and the waters have to split, here the waters are rushing. So, so they just, the, all the oncoming water like hit resistance you know, sort of was was held back, and then the water, uh, the rest of the water ran dry, so they had all the dry land to cross through. Um, so that's when it says they went backwards. It means sort of they, they you know, they they, they 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 hit a wall, as it were, and that they could not continue moving forward. And when they came, and the waters that were coming from above stood, they stood like one, you know, um, 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 a pillar, one wall. The um, and how high was it? Shemayim, shnei masar miel, shnei masar miel. Kineged machne Yisrael. Diver Reb Yehuda. Reb Yehuda says it is twelve miel by twelve miel. Now, it really, the point is twelve miel because, as we'll see, because the Yarden, in Tosus quotes a source that the Yarden is was a uh, fifty amos wide. And in fact, nowadays, the Jordan is 60 feet across, 50 almost about 75 feet. So um, it's actually quite close. So it does not mean that the wall was 2,500 um, uh, um, uh, feet wide. It might mean that it went back, tw- I mean, excuse me, um, um, uh, 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 12 mil. It does not mean it was 12 mil wide. 12 mil is... Um, a meal is uh, 2,000 amos, which is about 3,000 feet, which is about a kilometer. So that's 12 kilometers. Okay, so it was not 12 kilometers wide by the width of the yard. Eh? Maybe it means that it backed up for 12 kilometers, and it was 12 kilometers high. Um, like the size of the Machne Yisrael, which was understood to be, when they moved as a square, 12 meal by 12 meal. Uh, that's what Rebuda says. We'll discuss some of that uh, math and, or, you know, some of those measurements tomorrow. Um, let me understand you. You're assuming that it was 12 mil high because 12 kilometers high because they were 12 kilometers long and it took them the movement, you know, their rate to move 12 kilometers across the Yardane so the water was moving, you know, in the same amount of time. He says, but I don't get it. What do you think is a faster rate? The rate that people walk or the rate of the speed of the water of the Jordan River? Okay. Um... 
Um, clearly, the rate of the speed of the water is faster. So by the time it takes a person to move 12 meal, 12 kilometers, it takes rushing waters. They're going to move a heck of a lot more. All right? So therefore, they're going to rise up much more than um, 12 kilometers in height. Um, uh, uh, so if it was only 12 kilometers, you know, the water would have uh, gone over that wall, over the height of 12 kilometers and come in and would have drowned them. So, um, so, um, keeping keeping, no, 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 it kept on piling up layer upon layer. Yes, more than 300 meal. So again, 300 meal is, um, 25 times the, uh, the height. So somehow he assumes that the speed of the water is 25 times the speed of the people walking. Until it was seen by all the kings of the east and the west. When all the kings of the Emirates in the, on the west side of the Jordan heard that, you know, about the crossing of the Jordan, that then this miracle, and all the kings of the Canaanites that were by the sea. How God had dried up the waters of the Jordan, named Israel, out of Ram, until they Passed through, and their hearts melted. Okay, and they no longer had any spirit to stand up against Bnei Israel. The Af Rachav Hazon Amra and even before this miracle, Rachav the, the prostitute said to Yoshua's messengers about the about the miracle of Yamsuf. We heard how God has dried up the waters of Yamsuf. and it says similar to this pasuk by the Yarden, Vinishma Vagimasavavenu, and uh, we heard and our hearts melted. Od. Okay, now so. We'll stop here and to continue the crossing of the Yarden, which we will pick up tomorrow.